Hi, I'm Jean Godfrey June, and this is Megan O'Neill. We are the beauty editors at Goop. And you're listening to Goop's podcast series, The Beauty Closet, where we talk about all things beauty, clean, non-toxic beauty, of course, skincare, hair care, body care, self-care, and the way we think about beauty both as individuals and in the wider culture. So all I want in life is to get my hair done by our guest today, NYC and LA-based celebrity hairstylist Lacey Redway. Lacey's worked with some of the most gorgeous and successful women on the planet, including Zazie Beetz, Lupita Nyong'o, models Karen Elson and Jordan Dunn, Emmy Rossum, Anne Hathaway, Tessa Thompson, Aquafina, so many more. She recently did Naomi Osaka's hair for her Wall Street Journal cover. She's the highest paid female athlete in the world, and it was gorgeous. Lacey is so talented, and she makes everyone she touches look so chic and so cool, and the range of styles she creates is incredible. She does everything from cornrows to the perfect casual beachy waves to box braids to super stylized bombshell Catherine Deneuve hair. She does it all. She does do it all. I have the fantasy hairstyle she did on this model, Nesta Cooper, for a Vogue shoot this year. It was like this bead and jewel festooned updo. I have it taped on my bedroom mirror, and it makes me so happy every morning when I'm putting on my not aspirational work-from-home sweatpants. Her Instagram is full of great hair inspiration. She's just at Lacey Redway, Lacey without an E. And so much of what's on there is just so cool and so gorgeous and so imaginative. Now, before we get to Lacey, let's talk about our favorite deodorant from our friends at Schmitz. I love Lacey Redway's work so, so much. And I also really love that she knows how to do hair as in all hair, all hair types and all textures. She's a black woman, and she has clients who are black, white, Asian, people of color, everything. And weirdly and crazily and sadly, as she notes, that's not the norm for a lot of successful hairstylists. And she's so smart when she talks about hair and the gaps in the world of high fashion hair, how it, like many industries, lacks women and black women and women of color, and how, you know, it's a boys club like so many other boys clubs in our world. Yeah. Remember remember reporting from backstage at Fashion Week? It's true. All the major hairstylists were men, most of them, except for a very small minority. Like I remember Odile Gilbert was one of the few women. Um, mm. And I can't really think of another lead hairstylist back there who was a woman. Uh, backstage, back in the day, it was such a particular world. Hopefully that re-emerges someday. And I know it will be different in terms of diversity, both in terms of race and gender. The world is changing. Hope. Let's go with that. (laughs) Lacey is this big name in hair now, helping to change the industry, not in small part because her incredible talent knows no limits in terms of different hair textures. Also, her hair tips rule. Sunday is my hair washing day, and I can't wait to deploy some of her advice. She's so good. Okay, let's get to Lacey. So Lacey, you've started something of a revolution on the red carpet and in the world of high fashion hair. You create these incredibly glamorous hairstyles for your celebrity clients, many of whom are black and women of color, that play up their natural curly kinky textures and showcase braids. And, you know, obviously it's upside down that black hair looking like black hair or wearing braids on a red carpet is at all novel. 
but that is just our skewed world. (laughs) So before you helped normalize that, were you ever nervous about promoting such beautiful yet quote unquote unconventional styles? And did you get pushback from, from people, from publicists, other hairstylists about creating those looks, those kind of looks? Hi. Sorry, you guys. I'm I'm just still like, you know, your intro is so amazing where I'm like, whoa, is that me? I don't know. I'm I'm really kind of awkward sometimes, you know, with compliments, which is strange. I'm, <laughs> I'm just so busy working that I don't, you know, see myself in the way you guys see me. So it's, yeah, the it's, bigger it's, picture. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for that introduction. And also it's really been a collaborative effort. I think on the red carpet, being able to Mm. work with so many amazing women that trust me is really what has allowed me the freedom and the space to really bring forth hairstyles that we weren't traditionally seeing on the red carpet, you know, and along with myself, there's been so many amazing Mm -hmm. other talented uh, stylists, hairstylists as well that have contributed to us seeing the shift and seeing more textured hair on the red carpet and women feeling more um, like they can truly express themselves in in an authentic way. I think for so long, women of color have been told that the way that their hair grows out of their head isn't special or isn't professional or isn't red carpet worthy. And it's been so nice to um, just be a part of that conversation and to just change that narrative. I'm a mom. So, you know, it's mostly about teaching um, children and the younger generation that the way that they were made, they are beautiful as is, and they don't have to change anything about their identity to fit in and to conform into any spaces that they are worthy of being included in. So that's what gets me excited and proud about the work that I'm putting out. You know, people always say show, don't tell. There's something so powerful about showing that it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It really is a collaborative effort. You know, I think for me, the way that um, me and my clients kind of come into the same orbit is I feel like there's like a sort of gravity that draws us together. And I'm able to work with women that are Mm -hmm. are aligned with me and in that message and, and are also super clear about the work that they put out and how they want to affect our generation and our culture, you know, so it's really been incredible, like helping to shift culture in that way and helping to just make sure globally that women everywhere understand that textured hair is beautiful. That's amazing. (laughs) You've spoken about how the world of high fashion hair is dominated by white men and how none of them are very few of them at best know how to do like braids. And often what they're doing is hiring a black assistant who can do braids and then taking the credit. Did you ever experience that when you were coming up in the industry? I think for so long, um, when you look previously on the shelves of hair care products, we've seen, you know, men's name, you know, um, specifically white men's name on the bottles of the biggest hair care lines that we know of, right? All white men and typically, you know, white European men. So 
when we talk about in the space of high fashion, you know, a lot of that started in Europe. So it was more so about the time period as well. And the men that were coming up, I truly don't know the conversation of why it's, it is perceived that men are better hairdressers than women. And I think that could be even a different <laughs> podcast. Yeah. That, that might need its own <laughs> section. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, as a feminist and, and you know, and as, as a woman that's super proud and really want to make sure that for me, before I stop doing hair eventually down the line somewhere, that that information is changed where women are seen just as important and, and just as talented. The artists that were getting the biggest work were men. So I was backstage assisting a lot of those men. And, you know, sometimes there are a few of them that didn't know how to do the type of work that they would hire me for. And that's for me was part of where I started to recognize what I was bringing forth to the table. Because I think a lot of the times with artists as well, we forget our worth. And then sometimes, you know, we end up doing things that we don't want to do or we don't feel comfortable doing or we know that is wrong. You know, like when there are artists Mm. that do the work entirety for the key artist that doesn't even know how to begin that work, you know, and then they end up not getting the credit. And then it's just a cycle that continues because it is never, the behavior is never corrected because the producer or the designer or whomever is the person that is in charge to hire for those jobs, they truly either don't care or they turn their eye, you know, and say, well, the job is getting done. So it doesn't matter how it's getting done, knowing that they saw on set that the person they hired did not complete the job. I think it's a collaborative effort, you know, amongst everyone that is in charge of the creative process, making sure that they are hiring the proper people that are capable of doing the work and not just turning a blind eye when they know that the person they hired is not completing the work. Whenever you hear someone like say some huge stylist or, you know, in any creative joint production of anything, when you hear someone say, oh, and this was done by this amazing person. It just makes that person seem bigger. You know, it's not, oh, I don't know how to do X or, you know, you know, I brought in an expert, like why they wouldn't give credit. It just makes you look smaller, I think. I just remember being backstage at Fashion Week, you know, because as a beauty editor, you go backstage to cover Fashion Week and interview the big hairstylists and makeup artists. And I remember there was this huge, huge show I was at and a huge hairstylist was the lead and braids were the look and he he didn't know how to braid and you could see these black women braiding and we all did this interview with this big hairstylist and yeah he was like oh we hired these women to do the braids and that was the look like he was the the top stylist in charge of the look and he wasn't doing the braids like it was crazy yeah it's true It does happen, but in order for that to change, it needs to be, you know, also the designers that are um, not just hiring the same four or five men, you know, backstage doing this hairstyles. But, you know, I assisted a lot of the greats and I got to assist a lot of them at the same time because 
I brought a skill that at the time, a lot of the assistants backstage didn't have. Now there are more assistants backstage that can do things like braiding and textured hair. But when I was backstage, there were very few of us that were capable of having that skill. So I became very resourceful amongst the top tier at the time because I was capable of bringing that to the table. And then I started to see my worth and recognize that, well, why am I going to continue making everyone else look good? And it's not benefiting me because I, it's not translating into dollars or, or advancing me anyway, because again, coming up through that structure, we were trained to believe that we had to go a certain route. You have to assist, then you have to become someone's first assistant. And then once you become someone's first assistant, you might get on an agency roster. And we were trained to think that that is the only way that you can um, become successful. And honestly, for me, when I started to truly believe in my journey and not allow anyone else's journey and path to affect what I knew that my purpose was. Once I saw that, that's when things shifted for me. That's when I just kind of slid into my own lane and just created my own path and said, you know what? I don't care how X, Y, and Z did it before. I'm going to do it Lacey's way. I kind of came up in the time where I was like the last generation that had to assist in that old school way, but Mm -hmm. also at a time where social media was starting to come into play. So I got to really also use that platform in a way where I can truly let people see part of my personality outside of just my portfolio. I was able to speak to and reach, you know, women all over the world who didn't necessarily see themselves in their magazines or, 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 you know, some of them had, you know, children with textured hair and they didn't know what to do. And they were just so excited to see, for example, like Zassi Beats at the Oscars with her Afro, you know, or like Tessa, you know, with amazing long braids or anything like that, you know, all these different textures and beautiful work that my clients wear on the red carpet. I think coming from backstage, it just really taught me that it it taught me speed. And it also taught me how to work as a team as well. Oftentimes backstage, you have to collaborate as a team. You know, you have to, there's a model coming in at the last minute, you know, from a previous show. And mm-hmm. she's probably the biggest model that's walking in the show because that's why she's allowed to be late and come in 15 minutes before the show. And you oftentimes have to like maybe wash her hair you know, over a sink or something to get the products from the last show out. And then there's two different makeup artists working on one eye at a time. There's a manicure is doing her nails. There's a few hairstylists surrounding her Mm -hmm. trying to get the, you know, her ready for the show. It's quite hectic Mm -hmm. and it, it can be crazy. So that has prepared me for any celebrity that I could encounter, you know, like I don't, no one, no one intimidates me because I've, <laughs> I've been through it. So yeah, it has, it has prepared me to then collaborate with a makeup artist, getting a client ready for a red carpet. I mean, I've had to get someone out of the door in like 10 minutes. So besides skill, you know, besides being, knowing how to do good work, there's a lot of things that uh, makes you become a quote unquote celebrity stylist and the ones that you do hear about often, it's not just because of the work that they put out. There's a lot of things that, you know, 
people hire them for. A lot of times it's about being professional, you know, showing up on time, having the right equipment, because if you're going to be working at the level that I'm working at, you have to stay ready so you never have to get ready. And I, I'm laughing in my head about this because I say this so much to my assistants that they, it's like they know it because it's like <laughs> I teach them that we're never going to be unprepared. You know, we're going to always have everything that is going to be thrown at us because I've had some crazy requests thrown at me. And then it's like, you know what? Matter of fact, actually I do have a uh, glitter a in my kit. Screw. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, I think it's super important for if there are up and coming hairstylists that are listening to this interview, that they know that it's not just about doing hair. Cause I, I know there's a lot of times people on Instagram will see some of our work, you know, and they'll be like, Oh my God, all you just did was that ponytail. I could do that. And they don't recognize that the work that goes into doing that ponytail or how much time we were given to do that one ponytail or how many people we had to work with while doing that ponytail. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of factors that goes into play. And then also it's about aesthetic as well. So it's like sometimes when you're putting things on the red carpet, it's not just about you. You're working as a team. So if the hairstyle that you had in mind that you wanted to do doesn't no longer fits the neckline of this gown, you have to learn to adjust. It's not your show. You know, you are part of this collaborative team that is trying to make the best imagery possible. And I say imagery because it's, that's what we are creating. We're creating, picture. you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's a picture, you know, yeah, it's a picture it's on Instagram or it's going to be in a magazine. Or- exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's about how things photograph. So you got to also make sure that your hairstyle looks good, especially when you're see when you're doing a photo shoot versus a red carpet, it's a whole different type right. of hair. In an editorial, you can get away with a lot more because it is not seen in a three-dimensional way. You can do things behind the person's head to like hide hairpins or create more volume by putting different uh, things that will, you know, help that. But when you're on the red carpet, for me, at least, because I dabble in both worlds, that is a true test of a skill because that hair that you put out really has to look good all dimensions. You You cannot have one curl out of place because also you're representing your client as well and you don't want them to get a bad review or anything based on something that you helped create. It really is a lot of those things. That's why I do recommend always to um, assist if you can, you know, if you're someone that's trying to start coming up, because I do get a lot of those, you know, requests in my DMs of how do I, you know, start, I I live in X, Y, and Z, and I want to start doing what you're doing. How does it happen? And I always tell people to first find who the best stylist is in your area and seek them out, learn from them. Because a lot of what we learn in beauty school is not representation of what you need in the real world. There's so much you learn from being an assistant, not just how to do good hair. Like for me, it's also about learning how to be in the room and learning how to as a, as a hairstylist, sometimes like working on a photo shoot, there's so many different people on set that want you to do what they need yeah. for, for the photo shoot, you know, yeah. like the, the client. And when I say the client, for those of you that don't speak our lingo, you know, sometimes like if you're shooting like a big advertising ca- campaign, who, whatever that name of that brand is, they're considered the client on set. So the client 
has their vision. And then the photographer might have their separate vision where they're like talking to you separately, like, Oh, forget what the client said. Let's just do X, Y, and Z. Then, you know, the stylist might have their vision. And then the talent might also have a vision that is like, well, mm, that doesn't feel like me. I, you know, let's do what we do normally. So there's so many many cooks in the kitchen. There's so many cooks in the kitchen and you have to learn how to speak everybody's language and still stay authentic to what your brand is as well, because you're also a brand. And the reason I feel like there's so much room for all of us is because we all offer our own unique touch to the table. So it's like, no one can ever be you really, because no one has your touch and nobody has your fingers and your vision and your, your brain to put out the type of work that only you can put out. Just to go back for a sec, you know, what you were saying about being a great hairstylist, being the best, obviously that includes as you said, being prepared, being professional, but also you have to know how to do every type of hair texture to be the best, or you should. So you know how to do hair for white people, black people, people of color. Do you think that inequity is changing? Do you think more stylists understand that they they need to know how to do all hair types? I think definitely more stylists are understanding it, especially at this time where the industry has been forced to kind of pay more attention to stylists of color and also textured hair. A lot of brands were recognizing that they were completely ignoring that market as, you know, in entirety, Uh, you know, not having the proper products or the proper tools to truly speak in a genuine way. So fortunately, they are now correcting that. But, you know, unfortunately, it had to take for, you know, everything that's been happening, you know, outside with Black Lives Matter for people and then also brands getting called out. You know, I don't want it to always be where you have to be called out in order to notice that you're doing you have bad behavior. So I hope that we get to a place as a society that we can learn how to communicate better. So I I think um, we need to put less shame also on people that want to ask questions and want to, you know, get help and be genuine. At the same time, you know, use your resources because your black friends aren't Google. That being said, you know, I joke sometimes with my friends and I'm like, listen, I'd rather you ask me than to get canceled. (laughs) Lacey, did you like your hair growing up? And, and how did you wear it? That's a great question. I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot to look up to that I could see myself represented in. And oftentimes, too, our parents were not given the right information and the right tools to understand how to care for our hair. So a lot of the parents from my generation were relaxing their children's hair at a very young age. We now know how um, damaging that chemical that we used to, our parents and us used to use is, but we, we didn't have that information back then. So my hair got relaxed pretty early when I was, so backstory as well. I immigrated here from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. I came to this country when I was eight years old Wow. and yeah, I moved to New Jersey where I have since moved back to. So um, I came here as an immigrant and I only saw American television. Like for me, a lot of people on American television felt wealthy. So when I, when I came in this country, my parents lived in a, a big apartment building, but me as like a naive kid that only sees 
American people as wealthy people, because that is how it was given to me on the information that I got from television. I thought we owned the whole building. I thought like, oh my God, <laughs> we are rich. Like I've made it. And then I didn't know that we lived, we just lived in a small apartment building in this huge building. So, you know, I come from working class parents that like really had to work hard to provide being an immigrant family, you know? So they had a lot of jobs, a a lot of immigrant families are very familiar with, you know, like babysitting and Mm -hmm. like gas station attendants and so on and so forth. So also the relaxer made it super easy and convenient as well to just style textured hair. Because again, there were not a lot of products offered to um, our parents. And also there wasn't a lot of information that is offered of how to care for our hair. So I got my hair relaxed at eight years old Um, by a friend of my mother and like a lot of black children could relate to my hair broke off because uh, the chemical was just too strong Mm. for me. And also it is not a chemical that really should be even sold over the counter because I continued (laughs) on the process in high school. I started then working in a hair salon as like the shampoo girl. I got to assist a really um, lovely woman who then did photo shoots, but not on the, like, she did mostly like the hair package companies. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was exposed to the world of photo shoots. And I loved being a part of that process to see the work that we worked on, then, you know, work on the screen. And that to me was amazing, you know, just being a part of that process. So then I decided um, after having that experience that I too wanted to do photo shoots. So I I then created my first photo shoot where I hired a photographer. I used a relative as my model. I hired a makeup artist and then I I started my first photo shoot. And at that time, I was coming up in a world of um, there was this platform called Model Mayhem. So this was like Hmm. pre-Instagram, pre This was like around MySpace for those of you that are familiar with that. Yeah, I found that platform Model Mayhem and it was a platform where you can network with other creatives. So there were people that were makeup artists. There were people that were aspiring models, photographers, stylists, and so on and so forth. I met some really cool, interesting people who some of them I'm still friends with today and still collaborate with sometimes on that platform. And they have to risen, you know, from that just through using that platform and understanding the power of like networking. It has really helped me move through the ranks, if you will. Once my portfolio got to a place of like decent enough where agencies would take notice to it, I started um, reaching out to the top agencies in New York to be added to their assistant rosters. To, so Ooh. to assist a lot of the big hair care guys that I've spoken about before. But honestly, even through that, that's not even how I got my in with the backstage crew mm-hmm. it was always referral base so it, it was always like me me working with someone doing a great job and then them hearing about a job and then they're like why don't you call Lacey you should call Lacey so because even my first time that I assisted um, Guido I remember it was like for a job that required braiding and he does 
the most incredible hair. Like it's, it's always like cool, grungy, like downtown girl, you know, vibes. I remember hearing from his producer at the time that so many different people kept telling them to hire me or to call me. So that day that I ended up assisting him, I really wasn't even available at the time that the call time was, but because my name just kept coming up, they were just like, just get here whenever you could. Oh, wow. And and then when I finally did arrive backstage and then they threw me in to like do one of the hairstyles, the way I recognized that I had something special at the time was because I drew a crowd around me from the other assistants that were then watching me braid. So that's when I was like, wow, okay, this is interesting. I didn't even, you know, I, I didn't recognize for myself that it was like, a big deal. I don't necessarily see myself the way, you know, you see me until someone (laughs) says something. So I would say to everyone to not so much feed into the hype, but more so make sure that you continue being a genuine person. You do great work and you always try to help those you can along the way, you know, especially those that have helped you. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get right back to Lacey Redway. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Lacey Redway. Okay, question about hair products, Lacey, because we need your expert opinion. (laughs) So I've always thought that hair care marketed to Black people, Black women, was just marketing. Am I correct to think that Black, coarse, curly, thick textures just need deeply hydrating products? Or are there certain ingredients that aren't in hair products marketed to the general public that are especially good for Black hair? I think the textured hair community always has to be careful to um, start reading the labels and recognizing ingredients that they know are bad for their hair and that they don't feed into marketing because there is absolutely a marketing push right now to target textured hair community. And sometimes uh, a lot of those products are truly not genuine and, and sometimes not developed properly. And, and, but the R&D teams for these brands are so eager to market to this community that they rush products out before they're truly tested and make sure that they actually work. Yeah. So um, I think it's tricky. I think you really have to just read labels, start to um, educate yourself on what you put in your on your hair, you know, and because if you wouldn't put something on your face, you shouldn't put it in your hair. So, you know, you want to treat your hair also like it's valuable to you and really just learn ingredients. So are there there certain ingredients you think people with coarse, curly, thick textures should look out for specifically? I think if you can't read the first three things of the ingredients on the label, you should probably stay clear. You definitely want to stay away from parabens, things with heavy sulfates and detergents, artificial coloring, artificial um, fragrances, because you can also make your own oils at home. Like I make my own, you know, oils that I use on myself and my son's hair, you know, like I might mix ingredients like avocado oil or Jehovah oil or um, Mm. olive oil, coconut oil, and and make my own oils as opposed to buying ingredients that might not be safe for my hair. If oils are something that 
your like would weigh your hair down like if your hair is super fine mm-hmm. you can do a treatment with it prior to your shampoo so that you know you just like help add the moisture into your hair That's so good how do you translate like there's sort of those forever cool styles like beachy waves or french girl hair and those styles have been associated with white hair and not textured hair but do you translate those to all textures i translate any hairstyle to all textures Mm -hmm. that's one of the best things i love to do and i think that is probably some of why you guys have recognized my work because I, I do love to take hairstyles that we wouldn't traditionally see on textured hair and show you that it is capable of being done. So I've given Marcel waves down the red carpet, you know, on clients with textured hair, and it looks just as beautiful, bouncy, and fresh as any other, you know, girl that's on the red carpet. I love changing that narrative on what hairstyles are specific to a certain texture. I, I love the victory rolls you did on Tessa Thompson. Those are so Oh, cool. thank you. Yeah. Just, so, like, you know, so we want to do a, like a, a hair tip speed round with you. <laughs> we okay. have you here. So we're just going to ask you a bunch of hair questions. Um, what is the fastest way to get shiny hair, no matter what your hair type? Fastest way. So something that we forget, well, besides uh, shine spray, because that's really the fastest way if you want, (laughs) if you just want the appearance of shine, you can use a shine spray. But if you Mm -hmm. want your hair to truly look healthy and rich and shiny, and when I say rich, I don't mean dollars. I mean, look really, you know, healthy. The secret really is H2O, you guys. That is the secret. Drinking plenty of water definitely improves your skin your nails and your hair but if we're just talking about hair products you can for sure use a shine spray you can use a hair mask to help moisturize your hair you can do the hydro oil treatment like i've mentioned okay um how often should you wash your hair depending on texture and is that like super important to how your hair looks how often you wash it so the wash process has become quite a personal journey. So, um, <laughs> and it's, it's so personal that it's like, you know, what I might say and someone else might recommend is completely contradictory of each other because there are some women that wash, you know, still wash their hair every day, but then there's, you know, there are experts that tell us that, you know, you should not wash your hair every day because it does remove all the natural oils. And I do agree with that. But there's also, you know, for me, text, you know, women with textured hair, we can go much longer not washing our hair also because sometimes we are wearing protective hairstyles. So it, it, it's quite a complicated answer because it depends on what you're doing with your hair. But I would recommend washing your hair once a week is a pretty healthy amount. And if your hair is fine and it gets greasy and oilier closer to before a week's time, I would definitely maybe go every other day or every three days, maybe try dry shampoos in between so that it just help refresh your hair so that you, you're not continuously shampooing your hair and stripping it of its natural oils because we need our natural oils as well. True. For people with curly or wavy hair, what's the best way to like really define a curl? Like, is there, is it 
again, product or, or is it more in the, the heat styling or? I would definitely say products can help, but it depends on what hair type, like how curly your hair is. Cause even within the curly range, you know, there are women that have really tightly coiled hair. And um, mm-hmm. I think the market is still not quite there with finding women in the four range and the four C's proper products that can define their hair. But mm-hmm. I would say it's about learning proper styling tips and learning the products that truly speak to your hair type. Because a lot of times too, a lot of these brands, as we mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, are pushing products out into the marketplace because they want to speak to curly hair community, but they believe that they can speak to all of us at once. And that's not true. It's like, it's like saying, you know, a makeup brand launches a makeup, you know, and they're like, well, this one foundation will cover all of you girls that are brown, which they used to do. Exactly. Yeah. And then Rihanna had to remind everybody that you got to step it up. Money in actually serving. (laughs) So I think I think we're still getting there um, with the market. I hope to be able to help everybody and get, you know, the right products to showcase to speak to every audience. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, Best advice for giving yourself a blowout, a stick straight blowout. Okay. It's about the tension in the brush. So if you if whether you're using a round brush or a flat paddle brush, it's mostly about the tension that you have from the blow dryer and the brush. So you want to make sure that you're really putting, you know, making sure your hair is is kind of evenly placed in the grooves of the brush when you're um, gliding the dryer along the brush or down your hair shaft to get it smooth. So it's mostly about tension in your wrist. Okay. That is the secret. I would say also, I feel like a lot of women, they start blow drying their hair when they're straight out the shower, when the bathroom is still very steamy. Ooh, yeah. That's a good point. And that steam just automatically just takes away from all the hard work you're doing. So you're putting in so much work and effort, but your bathroom still has so much, you know, droplets of water in the air. So of course you're not going to see like a bone straight look. You have to get out of there. Okay. Yeah. You have to get out of there or keep the bathroom door open when you're showering. So you can reduce the amount of um, steam that happens in that bathroom. That's so good. Okay. For what occasion do you like an updo versus wearing hair down? Like how, what's your decision process? I guess when somebody's, when somebody's sitting there in your chair and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. How do you get to, to what you're going to do and you know, okay. have like a thing you love or I don't know, like, yeah. So I think what I like, I love to do with all my clients, it doesn't even have to be a celebrity, just, you know, your average woman that has a nine to five. Mm-hmm. I love to find out who that woman is that sits in my chair. I want to make sure that the hairstyle that you end up leaving with, you love because it feels like you. So I don't ever want to change the women that are in my chair. I want to always help elevate their look, but make sure they feel like themselves. So for example, like if I was doing like a wedding trial for a bride and Mm -hmm. she absolutely didn't know what to do with her hair or didn't know, or still have yet to 
confirm the neckline because that also too is how I decide on the hairstyle if it's going to be up through versus down oh, is, yeah is what you're wearing because I, I want to always compliment your outfit I don't want to take away from it I see things in bigger picture I see the whole look because that is that's yeah. the way my eyes are trained I see the whole look and I I make the hairstyle about a part of the whole process so Whatever event you're going to, I make sure that it can match that. Even if you're going to the office, like if I'm doing a haircut, I'm asking you, hey, do you work at a computer where you need to have your head down? So I know that when I cut your layers, they're not too short where they fall out of your ponytail because you're probably going to throw it up in a ponytail. So I take into consideration all those elements. So I end up, you know, finding out who you are and, and then that for me, helps me understand how to finish that updo. Because I can give five women the same updo, but they would all look different because the finishing will be different because I will make sure that it speaks more to your personality. That always amazes me when I'm, whenever I'm watching photo shoots where yeah. they'll be like, oh, let's just do a little something different. And the, the stylist goes in and like, literally, it seems like they touch the person's hair for a second. And it's like, oh, yeah, they did. Something. <laughs> yeah. Magic, yeah. It is magic. And talking to you has been magic, Lacey. This is absolutely so cool. And I'm, I'm like, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Okay, that was an amazing one. <laughs> so Redway, whoa. Yeah. I was just, I was so I I really loved what she said about doing the thing rather than trying to take your, you know, what is the prescribed route to a career. Definitely. I always give that people people that advice of try to say you're, you know, you're you're making boxes. That's your talent. Make boxes. A lot of times people will be like, well, I have to be an assistant box maker and I need to, <laughs> you know, I need to tell everyone about my box making skills. And, it, you know, if you ever get the chance to just make the box, it's so much more powerful. And it's the way people without connections, I think, forge their way in this world. I mean, I remember getting to New York and I didn't have any connections. And yeah, I just started writing articles, not even article proposals, but articles and sending them to magazines. And that really worked for me. I got a piece in New York Magazine. I got a piece in Condé Nast Traveler. And then I, sort of my big turning point was I wrote a beauty piece uh, about the makeup artist, Bobby Brown, I probably, you know, who at that point was just starting out as a, you know, as an entrepreneur and making 10 lipsticks. And I wrote about that over a weekend sent it into Vogue and like I've been writing beauties ever since. <laughs> That's what did it. That's crazy. Yeah. Instead of like drafting like a outline of like the piece you're going to do. Yeah. Just do it. When she started talking about how when she was in, I, I think elementary school or middle school, that she's just started braiding people's hair and charging them 10 bucks. Like, yeah. And, and when she was further along in her career, it was, it was like, wasn't that even though she did contact like all the big agents and stuff like that, it wasn't that that got her the jobs. It was people going, oh my God, have you seen those, you know, styles right. that Lucy Redway does? Right. You get a chance to just do the thing and not everybody does get that chance, but if you can wedge yourself in there somehow, that is a way to make a, a path that's not conventional and it's often a quicker path. To where you're going. At least it was in my case, and it sounds like it was in hers too. For, for sure. But but I do think that that just doing the thing, like that's scary. Like it requires mm-hmm. some confidence, you know? 
Yeah, that's true. You have like, to be able to um, like a lot of confidence. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, I used to I remember in writing those articles, I would try to, you know, I just imitate the sound of the magazine. Huh? Yeah. One, you know, and that gave me some confidence because I was like, yeah, this does sound like Vogue. And this does right. sound like a magazine. Those two things sound different, you know, and it was almost like hiding behind the voice of the thing I was trying to be part of. <laughs> but, but were you like, this is sick? Were you like, this is this is going to do it? You know, no. or were you just sort of like, eh, why not? I was just kind of like, I'm desperate. And I, I remember I worked in an office with a person who had every connection on earth, you know, with yeah. like, talk about like, we all have privilege. This person had like a lot. <laughs> and um, I'd see her go on interviews that I could never get. And, and you know, like, that yeah, kind of I just, I didn't know anyone. And so it was, it was born out of desperation in a certain way, but uh, it ended up really working in a way that the connections did not for that. Right. Person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it sounds like if Lacey had been like, okay, I'm just going to be an assistant, you know, mm-hmm. and she definitely put in time being an assistant, but she was, it sounded like she was working on her own stuff the whole time. And then, the, you know, one of the beautiful things about Instagram in particular in our industry is the way it has enabled people who don't have a seat at the table to be like, here, do you for like, sure. you know, and, and the world is like, yes, we like that, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. I was gonna say, I also like what she says about everything it takes to to get to a position where she is like obviously the skill has to be there but also you have to get along with people on set and you have to be prepared and you have to be professional and it's so true you can't just be great and like an asshole I mean you can but maybe maybe not so much anymore though you know I feel like you know there's heads of tech companies that maybe you know still could fit that you know I'm telling you Old bill and certainly um you know in every industry you can probably think of some you know enfant terrible yeah feeling but uh but i do think to get where you want to go the way she talked about everybody in the room and taking in the needs of everybody else in the room and maybe that's a female thing mm-hmm. uh, but it's a skill unto itself for sure. And it is, I think, what helps people get where they're going along with raw talent, which, you know, of course, yeah. is the main ingredient. But you can be super talented and not be good at dealing with the fact that, as she was saying, the client wants one thing. Oh, the yeah. The uh, model wants another. The photographer wants a third thing, you know, and they're all asking you to, to do what they say. You know, how you navigate that. I mean, I remember back in the day working at a magazine where I had to make the shoots that I worked on be good, but not great. Cause there was a person in power at the magazine who had, who was a photographer. And, you know, if something came back looking too good, it would get killed. Oh also, my God. If it came back looking bad, it would also get killed. Right. So to, like, right in the middle. Yeah. Come up with this like thing and also convince the photographer you were working with, like, let's uh, tone that down a little. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Navigating that. That's that's a skill. Yeah. And, w- and what she was saying about fashion people is certainly true. You know, it's, it's yeah. a world. It makes it makes even dealing with like, you know, Hollywood, like red carpet stuff look kind of tame. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and just like what she said about like the professionalism, you know, however, whatever that means. But I that reminds me, I, I used to work with someone who was really talented, but she'd be so late every day. And I was just oh, like, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was just like, you could you could just check that box so easily and just have that be a thing that's like for you. It's like I'm I'm not like the most on time person, but like oh, she was just so late day after day and. Yeah, of being there, being in the room and being prepared, mm-hmm. ready. I mean, it's sort of a version. I will I always tell people the story of how like we got connected. I interviewed you, you know, oh yeah, a million <laughs> years ago. And I was just like, oh my God, this person's so great. And I didn't have a job at the time. And I was like, as I say to everyone who I interview that I'm really impressed with, I say, bug me, you know? Uh, well, I harassed you for yeah. years, right? I'm like, I can't, I don't have a good memory for this kind of thing. So you got to like, send me your resume every time you say hello and say hello every couple of months. Yeah. Like, I'm still <laughs> on the market. And, and you did it for like two years, I think. I so. thought it was five years. I tell everyone it was five years. I, I tell everyone I followed up with you once a year for five years. That's how I remember it. Oh, see, I, I remember every couple of months for two years. <laughs> but in any case, you were persistent, you know, wow. and you were also super talented and like wildly impressive. Well, I was like, I got to get in with her. Like, <laughs> the good stuff. Well, it, and it turned out to be totally worth it. We've had a great career together. Had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Yeah. Yeah, I love no, I feel like this episode is great for anybody. Like I want everybody in college to listen to it. Uh-huh. It yeah. doesn't matter what industry you're talking about, or even if you're thinking of changing careers. Totally. Um, yeah. It what, applies to everything kind of. Yeah. And I, I just I want to get my hair done by her. Like ugh. Oh, me too. You just want to know what she would think up to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like what would be her angle on the whole thing? You know? Yeah. I feel like she has just such an imagination that's so creative. Yeah. So good. Such a good one. So on this site, I do a column called Megan Tries It, and you do one called Ask Jean, and we get a whole bunch of beauty questions. And we're going to answer them all right now, right here. So should we get into today's Ask Me Anything? Yes. And if anyone listening has a question they want us to answer, send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. Now today's question. Sarah wants to know best products for oily hair. Mm, you Are you oily? I'm pretty dry. I was oily. Like, you know, I'm 56, so I definitely don't have oily hair anymore, but I certainly used to. Uh-huh. Um, and I think just as with skin, people that are oily can tend to, you know, they throw the book at it. You know, they're like, I want to dry that, this out, you know, yeah. and I think maybe cleansing more frequently, but with a a gentle cleanser can be good. Certainly dry shampoo. um, We have one from InnerSense, you know, is a great thing if you don't want to keep washing your hair. And especially if you have, um, you know, if you have colored hair as well, you're going to want to wash it less. So dry shampoo is just, you know, it'll give you a couple extra days and you can put it in, you know, as often as you like, as as long as your hair will take it. I think um, I love like <laughs> back in my oily hair days, I would have died to try the the Gtox, the salt scrub. Oh my it had god! Big chunks of Himalayan pink salt in it, and it so and it's super just like clarifying, but it doesn't strip. It still feels moisturizing and foamy, and just how it feels on your scalp, it feels so good. And salt is a great 
you know, just clarifier. And so I would do that depending on how oily my hair was. If I had super oily hair, I could probably do it every other day, you know? And so, and then the other thing is, this is probably super obvious, but you want to condition only on your ends. Some people are like, oh, I should put my conditioner on. And it's like, oh, if you have oily hair, you're just going to make that worse unless it's just on the ends. That was such um, a good tip from, didn't Frederick Fakai tell us that in our podcast? Condition on the ends. And the, the other thing that I think is important, it's important for all hair. I originally got it from Philip Kingsley, this hair health guy from back in the day, like super back in the day is that a lot of people, and the reason your hair kind of looks like dull and sometimes oily, is that many people do not wash their shampoo out fully. And the reason that it doesn't wash out fully is actually that they don't get their hair wet enough when they first get in the shower. So just when you first get in the shower before you put any shampoo on it, like really scrudge your hair, like with your fingers all the way through it, the way they would if you were at a salon, you know, like sort of massage your scalp as you're having the water go over it and really make sure it's wet to the roots, especially because that's where, you know, you're going to see oil show up first and then shampoo, um, when it's really, really wet. And then when you wash it out, when you rinse it out, because your hair is already wet, it'll come out quicker and cleaner and just make sure, uh, before you, you know, move to any kind of conditioner that you've really washed out all the shampoo because shampoo, you know, is kind of sticky and can look oily on your scalp. So that's another, another tip. Yeah. It sounds obvious, but it's kind of not. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to think of it every time that I'm, yeah. myself. I'm like, get your hair wet. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie wants to know any tips to help with cystic acne. Ugh, I dealt with and still do deal with cystic acne. And of course it happened when I was an adult. Well, that's because we work from home now and you can't see me on Zoom clearly. (laughs) I see no cystic acne. I I worked with you when you did have it. Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. When 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 we were at Lucky, that was crazy. But okay, cystic acne um, is a special kind of hell. And I think, you know, products can really, really help. But you you really have to remember it. It's it's an internal issue, right? It's it has everything to do with your lifestyle and what you're eating. And so all of that advice that no one wants to hear, but that is so crucial, like staying away from processed foods and excess sugar and, you know, moving your body, all of that all of that helps balance things out for sure. So that's the first thing to note. But yeah, sweating, detoxing. I've heard also that dairy, a lot of dermatologists feel like they, they do see not necessarily cystic acne, but acne in general, that there's a correlation with a lot of dairy in there. Yeah, definitely. Another delicious thing to not. (laughs) I know cheese. Yeah. All of those things. But for products that can really help balance out your skin, you want to, if you're super oily, you do want to cleanse and, you know, using exfoliating acids like, um, alpha hydroxy acids, glycolic acid. Those are really, really good at, um, you know, breaking up dirt and oil and helping to smooth pores. And, Another thing to remember, probably the most important because it's not so obvious, you kind of just want to like blitz your skin and dry it out and just get rid of all the oil, but you don't want to dry out your skin because that can have the opposite effect of making your body produce more oil. So you also want to, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it hurts. You know, it hurts when you strip your skin that's tight. I hate that feeling. So you really want to moisturize too. And people think that oils can cause breakouts, but a, a good oil, a, a good, clean, beautiful oil can really help balance out your skin. Like when I'm feeling breakouty, something like Vintner's Daughter really does help balance things out. And also it just feels so good. Again, you don't want your acneic, blemishy skin to be dry and stripped. You want to soothe it with moisture. So even if you have bumps and blemishes, you really have to keep up with the moisturizing. Everyone should be moisturizing, every skin type. And would you say, since you've been through it, would you say it's worth going to a dermatologist also to see what they have to say? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely, if you can go to a dermatologist, I went to, um, like a, an Ayurvedic expert and he was really great at battling it from, you know, from a food angle and this whole thing. And the whole thing of Ayurveda is food is medicine, but it, it took a long time and a dermatologist, you'd probably get some faster results, but I, I just, I do love clean skincare and I, you know, I, I love sticking to it. Thanks again for joining us on The Beauty Closet. You can learn more about our new podcast series at goop.com slash beautyclosetpodcast. We hope you'll come back next Wednesday for our next chat. And in the meantime, just tap subscribe to keep up with new episodes. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the podcast. It really helps. And share with a friend. Talk soon.